Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Campus Safety Voices podcast. My name is Amy Rock, and I am Senior Editor for Campus Safety. For this episode, I spoke with Jeffrey Yarbrough, who is Chief of Police for the Hutto City Police Department in Texas, and also former Chief of Police for the Round Rock Independent School District, also in Texas. Incidents of swatting or reporting false threats to emergency services are on the rise, and many of them are targeting K-12 schools and colleges. In this interview, I spoke with Yarbrough about all things swatting, including why it's so harmful, what the emergency response to swatting often involves, and how these incidents are impacting the mental health of students, staff, parents, and surrounding communities. We hope this chat provides actionable information to help your school or campus better respond to and handle swatting. Here's our discussion. Be sure to subscribe to Campus Safety's YouTube channel and like or leave a comment on our videos or subscribe to our Campus Safety Voices podcast on Apple and Spotify and leave a review. Today's top, uh, conversation, I wanted it to be on the topic of swatting, which obviously we've been covering it a lot on Campus Safety because it just seems to be rampant right now. So uh, a lot of our readers already know, but can we just start with the basics of what is swatting and what makes it so harmful? Swatting is a hoax style activity or behavior that some people engage in. And, and a lot of people don't realize where the name swatting came from. So what it is, people will call 911 and their, their whole objective is to get a response from law enforcement or law enforcement resources, usually the SWAT team. And so that's where swatting came from. And it's, it's a phenomenon that we've seen in many phases of society and it's something that we've seen early on years ago in schools you would have people making the bomb threats during the time when you had tests so that they can avoid going and taking the tests and this is what we're seeing now is just a i believe a progression of that same behavior to trigger law enforcement response to have an outcome that the caller or callers uh, seek to to engage or to occur. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's obviously extremely dangerous. There was a devastating um, instance of it. I'm in Massachusetts, and this was in I think Connecticut. And a man who clearly had mental health issues said that there was a fight at his house and called the police. And then he ended up he shot and killed two of the officers. Um, so it's obviously uh, you guys go into these calls with thinking the worst, you gotta protect yourself, but also if there actually is a real threat. So it's just an extremely harmful situation, obviously. It really is. And the thing about swatting and the hoax phone calls to 911 is that they impact a large portion of society. It's, so if it occurs in a school, it's not just it's not just the school that's impacted by that. If it's occurring in a community, it's not just the community that's impacted. There's a there's a wide range of, of people who are triggered and, and, and affected by those kinds of behaviors because we've had situations similar to what you just mentioned um, in your community. We've had situations as a municipal police chief, I've had situations where people have specifically called 911 to get law enforcement to respond just so that they can carry out uh, an active shooting event against those officers. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, I'm, I'm in Massachusetts and New Hampshire is just, I'm like 15 minutes from the New Hampshire border and 
earlier this month in just one week, I think there was, they said a dozen threats at New Hampshire schools. And now you've worked as a police chief in schools and now in a city, are schools the sector receiving most of these threats or are they everywhere? So uh, I'm sorry, Amy. That's okay. Um, are schools the ones that are seeing most of these swatting calls or are they kind of in, in different sectors as well? Or, or are schools the ones seeing most of them? So we're seeing in Texas, a tremendous increase in swatting calls. We work with what here in Texas, we have the fusion centers, which like here in Austin, it's the um, Austin Regional Intelligence Center. And they track data, they track phone calls, they track social media, and we're seeing the number of threats in schools and the trend towards those increases here in Texas is at a level that we haven't seen previously. And the year before was even higher than what the year prior to that was. So we're seeing this upward intake of threats coming in from multiple platforms. And so it's not only is it happening inside of our schools, it's happening inside our communities. We're getting those calls in our city and we're getting those calls coming from school districts. We're getting those calls outside of schools, directed towards schools. So there is a cross-pollination of of swatting calls that, that is occurring in, in virtually every community in, in the state of Texas and the country. Okay, and you had mentioned social media. How are most of these threats being communicated, like through what medium and who, who are they placing the call to for schools specifically? You know, are they calling the superintendent's office? Are they, obviously, I'm sure it varies, but are, does there seem to be a pattern? What we've seen is, the trigger for many of the, the swatting incidents that we investigate, some may come from anonymous apps, uh, phone apps that they use, um, kids may use. We're seeing a lot of it come through Snapchat. Um, and they'll send that information to other students and in hopes that that information is being deleted. And those students would take that information to the campus administrators which would trigger the investigation and the response with regards to standard response protocols or, or the active shooter event responses that uh, you would take depending on those threats. So we're getting it from social media, we're getting it from Snapchat, we're getting it from emails. We've had emails from anonymous email calls or, or accounts, and we're responding to all of those situations with the same concern that we would if it was a person walking into the police department saying, hey, this incident's occurring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it obviously sucks up a lot of resources. And, and it also desensitizes people a little bit to, you know, if there is a real threat. I thinking back to with Uvalde, the preliminary report found that some of the faculty and staff didn't initially take the intruder threat seriously due to alarm fatigue associated with the increase in bailouts, which for anyone who doesn't know what that means, it's a term used in border communities for the increased occurrence of human traffickers trying to outrun the police, and it often ends in the smuggler crashing the vehicle and passengers flee or bail out. So it's like, it's just, there's obviously so many ways that it can be very harmful and a lot of considerations that people don't don't think of the, the ripple effect that it has. That is true. And that is, that is one of the things that has been a concern when you, when you get 
I hate to say used to because you should never get used to receiving those threats, but there is the alarm fatigue component that breeds complacency after a while because the assumption is that, oh, well, this is just another false alarm. This is just another false alarm. And that is something that we as a society, we as law enforcement, school safety professionals and school district leaders, we have to make sure that that we fight against that complacency because we can't compromise safety for convenience and we can't allow complacency to be the purveying um, response to any incident. We have to take those situations as if they are actual events and respond accordingly until uh, facts and data determine otherwise. Now, what are you guys finding is the nature of most of the threats that have been happening lately? Are, are they threats of guns on campuses? Is it mostly gun violence threats? Or is it, like you were saying, the more traditional bomb threats? There was a time when bomb threats were the top calls for swatting and law enforcement response. Now, the large majority is gun-related, active shooter-related, because we live in a society right now where we have a heightened sense of concern, we have a heightened sense of the need for additional safety, and we have a a justifiable fear of an active shooter event. So people know what words will trigger a response. People know what words will raise the, heighten the anxiety or the concern for a community or a school or law enforcement. And we're living in a time where anything related to an active shooter event heightens the anxiety and the concern and the need for a proper response from law enforcement. So are, are there often increases in swatting incidents following mass shootings? Is that, is, does, is there typically a correlation? We've seen instances of copycatters when you have an active shooter event or a mass shooting at a school, typically you will have some residual calls coming in saying that there's going to be an active shooter event here, this person's going to do this at this certain time, or you'll have information from the school where the event occurred funneling into other schools and they're thinking that it's the same, it's a new event when it's actually a part of the previous Uh, the previous tragedy. So we've seen many events like that. For example, we had a situation at one of the school districts where I worked, where we had a student who had brought a weapon to school and we were able to locate that individual. And then that information from one of the pictures that a student took of that, that student who brought the weapon to school, that information made it to another school a few days later and people were saying, hey, we've got a kid on campus with a gun. And so that information was being pushed out as if there was an active shooter currently on the property and they took uh, lockdown measures to respond to that situation. Obviously we can't really generalize, but are, are you finding a typical profile of the people who are making these threats? Are they often falling within certain demographics? Are there younger individuals? Are they people not even in this country? One of the things that people historically thought that was was something that was capable of being accomplished, meaning 
identifying a, an actual profile, you can say, if this person has this, 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 and this, they're going to be an active shooter. That is not that is not the case. What we're seeing is that you have a wide spectrum of characteristics, traits, behaviors, actions that are contributing to the activities that lead to active shooter events. There are situations where you've had people who have never been in trouble that have, that have engaged in active shooter events. You've had situations where people have been in trouble a lot. There are people that have had social emotional behaviors issues that have done it and you have people that don't. So one of the things that we make sure that schools understand is that although there may not be a science to identify a profile for an individual, what we as a collective body when it comes to school safety and, and law enforcement, what we have to do is irrespective of who may be uh, a potential active shooter, we have to make sure that our systems, our response protocols, our strategies, our technologies, all of those things are effective to the point to where we can mitigate any potential incident by any potential person that may occur and impact and negatively impact the school. And I'm also, I'm guessing it depends on what the actual threat is, but what does a response to a typical swatting incident look like, both from the perspective of schools and also first responders? You know, when you, when we talk about swatting, there are, there are many issues that we've, that we've had to prepare for. A lot of times law enforcement, it's an evolving process of response and understanding and comprehension so that you can temper your tactics in a manner to where you're still providing the highest quality of service. We've had swatting incidents in the past where someone would call from a certain area of town saying that there was an active event that was occurring there so that they can get all of the law enforcement resources moved to that area so that they can go and commit acts in another area. So what we're seeing nowadays is, and that, that triggers a response is when we're, say for example, if we get a report that there's an active shooter event that's occurring at a high school campus in our city. One of the first things that we're making sure that we're doing is we're making sure that we've got that instant communication with the school district so that they can activate their mass notification solution, just like the solution that Raptor has in place to where we can notify instantaneously through multiple platforms on a school campus of an active shooter event so that they know to go into lockdown if needed or to secure and, and secure the facility or to go into a whole position. It just depends on the situation. But we're making sure we get that information to them, but also our officers are trained with, we train regularly with school districts and school district police departments on standard response protocols. We, we train with them on active shooter response. So we know exactly what our response is going to be and the, the schools do as well. While we're doing those things, simultaneously we're doing a threat credibility evaluation to determine whether or not that threat is credible. We want to find out if we're getting more, multiple reports, which would increase the credibility of that threat. But we're also wanting to identify who reported it, um, the, the, the platform that they're, they're reporting it from, so that we can have that information to determine the credibility of this event. But primarily the goal is once you receive a call, we're wanting to secure that perimeter of that school and make sure that those facilities on that compound are secure. And many times we will have situations where, where if you have something at an 
at a school, we're also wanting to make sure, depending on the circumstance, we're notifying buildings and businesses and, and residents in the adjacent areas so that if there is a true threat, they're able to be prepared to respond accordingly. One of the things that we also find is we make sure in law enforcement, and you'll find this throughout the, the country, there was a time when all law enforcement would respond if you got a threat and they would be called off only when you it was determined to be a false report. Nowadays, you have your law enforcement officers who will still stay in their sectors and you have a portion of your law enforcement that will respond to the schools and they will respond accordingly, making sure that if they need to go and walk the halls, they're doing that. If they need to set up a perimeter, they're doing that. But the goal is to determine where the threat originated and the credibility of that threat so that we can mitigate it as quick as possible. Yeah, I, mean, I think to what you just said, it's obvious how important these reporting tools are in aiding first responders in, in supporting schools during these incidents. And you know, any school districts in your area are obviously lucky to have you because you really understand the inner workings of a school and how they respond to these incidents. So, and now have you, you've obviously been part of a response to a swatting incident. What are some lessons you took have taken away from some of those incidents? Some of the, the lessons that, that I've taken away from it is that there are many factors that exist that can help you to determine the credibility. For example, if you've got something written on the bathroom wall that says Monday at 8.45, a bomb will go off in the science lab. Well, there are things that we've learned. It's like, okay, is Monday the state testing? You know, and so you'll find those things, but at the same time, you're wanting to determine who was the person responsible. So you're doing a lot of due diligence in making sure that you can identify the individual or individuals who are responsible for reporting it, even if it's valid, you want to know. If it's invalid, you certainly want to know. But you're also wanting to determine what the underlying motivation is for it. Is it a true warning or is it something that is a deflection or a deterrent from a real event that's going to occur? But at the same time, you're also wanting to make sure that you're not responding in a manner to where you're raising the, the anxiety and, and, and creating crisis inside of a school when doing your due diligence and properly positioning officers and staff in certain areas of the school in case there is an actual threat can, can, can mitigate that. You wanna make sure that you're not creating an environment that is full of anxiety as a result of a hasty response by law enforcement. The goal is to do things simultaneously. Have your school district's response consistent with law enforcement response, but at the same time, assessing the credibility of that, that reported information. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned anxiety. How are, how are you seeing swatting incidents, either in your experience or um, educators that you've spoken to, how is it impacting the mental state of students, staff, parents, and also the surrounding communities? That's a very good question. And I'll tell you, it, it's something that is very important to me. And that's why when I was the chief of police of, a, of Round Rock ISD, I'm very proud to say that we were the first school district in the country to actually hire social workers to work inside the police department because the goal was to make sure that we were meeting students at their needs. We wanted to make sure that, that we had students that had social, emotional, behavioral, mental, substance abuse issues, that we had that support there, those subject matter experts that can help with that. 
One of the things that we do in schools and I train people to do when it comes to standard response protocols, your drills, you're training people in a manner to where you're teaching them more than terrorizing them because it can be a traumatic e event. If, for example, it's like when you're going to fly on an airplane, they're not, they're not terrorizing you about the safety responses that you should take in the event of an incident. They're, they're educating you and teaching you. So when you're doing your drills, the goal is to make sure that you're training in such a way to where you're raising the level of comprehension so that the confidence is built and the anxiety is reduced. And so that's why it's important to make sure that you're doing your debriefs, but you're also doing your training in such a way to where if there's a critical incident, people are responding because they know what to do and they're not responding out of fear and making mistakes and, and being traumatized by the event. There's gonna be enough trauma, a traumatic experience and, and concern and anxiety if you have a real situation. And that's why it's, you can reduce the, the anxiety and trauma if you can build the confidence and the understanding and the comprehension of them through your drills and the assessments that you do. And I know, um, is there any suggestions or anything schools can do to try and decrease their likelihood of falling victim to squatting or are there things that they can do to help recognize false threats? So there are a lot of things that we can do to recognize false threats. And that goes back to assessing those threats and doing an evaluation to determine the credibility of those threats. And, and that comes from the partnership with the school district, local law enforcement, and your fusion centers, which are we have throughout the country. We work closely with our fusion center here in, in Texas, and particularly in the Austin region. We're provided information almost daily about information uh, related to threats, potential threats, concerning social media reports. But we, when we have a critical incident, we're providing that information to them, and they're working in real time to determine locations, uh, IP addresses, things that can help us to uh, identify who the source of that information is. Unfortunately, determining who is going to be the person to do to make the threat before it happens, that's that's very low in in predicting uh, a a swatting incident. So that's why the emphasis is, we, it's not like we discount that, but we have to make sure that we our, our response protocols and our procedures are so solid, so consistently tested, analyzed, modified if needed, so that if you're faced with a swatting incident or a false threat of an active shooter event, your response is going to still be the same. And regardless of whether you know it in advance or if it happens instantly, your response is still going to be the same, which is you're creating those time barriers, you're utilizing the technology that Raptor provides and others, other organizations around the country provide. You're, you're continuing to do those, utilize those technologies to make sure that you're creating those time barriers for law enforcement to come and respond and address any potential threat that is existing on those campuses. We cover uh, tabletop exercises a lot on campus safety, and it sounds like swatting would be a great example of something to, to do in one of those exercises. Absolutely. And that's something that, again, when you, when you have a situation 
whether it's real or not, if you have a swatting report and your your district or your school is taking action, it is very important to debrief about that afterwards to find out what systems and solutions worked, what gaps existed, what could be done better for future incidents. But also not only doing that internally, but making sure you're sharing that information with your other campuses, sharing that information with local school districts, uh, partner school districts, neighboring school districts. That is what something that is very, very helpful because you don't have to reinvent the wheel if there's a wheel that exists that can get you down the road. And that's why it's important to share information with other school districts because they may have faced something and been somewhere where you have not been and you can learn from those. It's like when the situation at, uh, at Santa Fe happened in, in 2018. I put on a school safety symposium a month after that happened and the chief, the school board president, the assistant chief and other first responders came and spoke less than a month after that incident occurred. So, and we had like 325 people from around the state of Texas come to that symposium and learn from a tragedy that happened a few weeks prior and we, the takeaways from that were truly invaluable. And some of the outcomes that, that we were able to take away are things that are now legislatively mandated here in the state of Texas. Yeah, I guess if you have to look at the positive side of swatting, I suppose it's it helps to improve emergency response protocol and allow schools and police departments to you know, update their policies and procedures and make improvements where they might be needed. Um, and so the last question that I wanted to ask, and, and I'm sure it varies state to state, but are there any measures being put in place or attempting to be implemented to try and increase charges that can be brought against someone who, who makes a false threat? So here in Texas, and, and it is different throughout the, the, the country, but here in Texas, it is a class A misdemeanor to make a false alarm or report a swatting call, it, which is punishable by up to a year in jail and $4,000 fine. The charge is enhanced if the person can be shown to have committed this same act before, so you can enhance that. So we've got our legislative session coming up in January, and one of the things that I'll be doing is working with some of our state legislators to increase the uh, penalties for swatting, because you want to make sure that people understand that if you're going to play this game, we are going to make sure that the rules are so 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 strict that you're not going to find it fun. And that's something that I think is very important because we live in a time to where sometimes people don't know what's real from Memorex. And we have to understand the realities of the concerns that you're causing, the resources that are having to be diverted that could otherwise be helping other individuals who are, have a need, but they're being diverted to a false situation, which is not serving our community and our students or our citizens in the way that they should be served.